Well, take your Bibles this morning, open them to the book of Zechariah, chapter 9. I'll be reading two short verses, verses 9 and 10, but we are doing a word studies in the Old Testament. And today we're looking at the word peace. In Hebrew, that is shalom. And so we find ourselves moving all over Scripture for this series. But we'll start off with a reading from Zechariah chapter 9, verses 9 and 10. So would you please stand in honor of God's word as it's read? Before I read, would you pray with me the prayer on the screen? Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me. For you are God my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. Amen. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Amen. You may be seated. The word peace is common in most languages. People can talk about peace treaties or times of peace. It means the absence of war. And in the Bible, the word peace can refer to the absence of conflict, but it also points to the presence of something better in its place. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for peace is shalom. And in the New Testament, the Greek word is erene. The most basic meaning of shalom is complete or whole. The word can refer to a stone that has a perfect whole shape with no cracks. It can also refer to a completed stone wall that has no gaps and no missing bricks. Shalom refers to something that's complex with lots of pieces that's in a state of completeness, wholeness. It's like Job who says his tents are in a state of shalom because he counted his flock and no animals are missing. This is why shalom can refer to a person's well-being. Like when David visited his brothers on the battlefield, he asked about their shalom. The core idea is that life is complex, full of moving parts and relationships and situations. And when any of these is out of alignment or missing, your shalom breaks down. Life is no longer whole. It needs to be restored. In fact, that's the basic meaning of shalom when you use it as a verb. To bring shalom literally means to make complete or restore. So Solomon brings shalom to the unfinished temple when he completes it. Or if your animal accidentally damages your neighbor's field, you shalom them by giving them a complete repayment for their loss. You take what's missing and you restore it to wholeness. The same goes for human relationships. In the book of Proverbs, to reconcile and heal a broken relationship is to bring shalom. And when rival kingdoms make shalom in the Bible, it doesn't just mean they stop fighting, it also means they start working together for each other's benefit. This state of shalom is what Israel's kings were supposed to cultivate, and it rarely happened. So the prophet Isaiah, he looked forward to a future king, a prince of shalom, and his reign would bring shalom with no end. A time when God would make a covenant of shalom with his people and make right all wrongs and heal all that's been broken. This is why Jesus' birth in the New Testament was announced as the arrival of Irene. Remember, that's the Greek word for peace. Jesus came to offer his peace to others, like when he said to his followers, my peace I give to you all. The apostles claimed that Jesus made peace between messed up humans and God when he died and rose from the dead. 
The idea is that he restored to wholeness the broken relationship between humans and their creator. This is why the Apostle Paul can say Jesus himself is our Irene. He was the whole complete human that I am made to be but have failed to be. And now he gives me his life as a gift. And this means that Jesus' followers are now called to create peace. Paul instructed local churches to keep their unity through the bond of peace, which requires humility and patience and bearing with others in love. Becoming people of peace means participating in the life of Jesus, who reconciled all things in heaven on earth, restoring peace through his death and resurrection. So peace takes a lot of work because it's not just the absence of conflict. True peace requires taking what's broken and restoring it to wholeness, whether it's in our lives, our relationships, or in our world. And that's the rich biblical concept of peace. Well, Shalom covers a lot more territory than you might have imagined within Scripture. And it's definitely more than the modern idioms that we use in our own language. For example, when we talk about peace, the Hebrew word being shalom, oftentimes we'll say things like, I just need a little peace and quiet. Or maybe you've heard of the series by Dave Ramsey, Financial Peace, talking about getting your finances in order. Leo Tolstoy wrote the famous work, War and Peace. And sometimes we're told that we just need to keep the, the peace. In some churches, in uh, very uh, liturgical churches, they will have a time in the service called, instead of a handshake time or a greeting time, they'll call it the passing of the, the peace. Sometimes when you're ready to speak, someone will say in an important situation, hold your peace. Sometimes you've said this about someone, well, I've made my peace with them. We have peace of mind. In Scripture, we see a peace offering. The Indians were known for smoking a peace pipe. Miss America is always regarded as one whose greatest hope in life is world peace. And when someone passes away, we say at their tombstone, may he rest in peace. And if we were just to wrap this all up, a slang way of saying that would just say peace out. And so we use the word peace in a lot of different ways. It is an idiom in our language, and yet we discover in Scripture that it is a word that is rich with theology and meaning. However, you should realize this. When we talk about the word in Scripture, starting with the Hebrew word shalom, that word in Scripture is a very common word. I think it's used 237 times, the word shalom is in Scripture, not to mention other variations of that word. And the word goes anywhere from a modern greeting saying hello, shalom, peace, or you might hear even in modern day Hebrew, they'll say shalom alechem, peace to you or peace upon you. And that's how they still greet one another to this day. But it is known as that, but it's used in multiple different ways. As you could see, the, the variety of meanings, even referring to the completeness, the wholeness, the solidity of a wall, you find that as you go through Scripture, the word shalom appears in many translations other than just the word peace, because sometimes it may mean even happy, it may mean friendly, can mean one's welfare or prosperity. It may be translated as rest or safety or completion. It can re mean secure. And so what I discovered is that this is a hard word to do a word study on because you can't just look up the word peace. 
because it gets translated in multiple different ways. And so what I'd like to do today as we walk through this word is to look not so much as a word study, but what might be called um, a thematic study, looking how does this theme of peace develop within Scripture. How do we see it from the very beginning in Genesis, developing the need for peace, God's shalom, within our world? And so today, God wants us to realize that he wants our lives ultimately to be filled with his peace. Now, let's give a short definition here. Shalom, the Hebrew word for peace, is more than the absence of conflict or war. It is the presence of completeness, wholeness, harmony, or fulfillment. And I think that's something important to hold on to because a lot of times we get the idea, we'll say, well, is everything at peace or is there peace in your relationship? Is there peace at work? And a lot of times what we're hoping for is just the end of fighting. But shalom is beyond the negative, saying, well, it's just done, the fighting is over. Instead, shalom points us towards the positive, saying that things are now in a good state, in their proper state, in a whole state, and things have been made complete. For example, how many of you know a veteran of the Korean War? How many of you know a veteran of the Korean War? Now, technically, the Korean War, technically, you could say, is not finished. It is not over. In July 27, 1953, there was an armistice that was signed, and it brought to an end the conflict between North Korea and South Korea. It created uh, the zone there at the 38th parallel um, between the two countries. And yet, so to speak, it's hard to say that even though the conflict has ended, is there true goodwill and fellowship and love between the nations? Even to this day, we still hear about Korea and the conflicts there and trying to bring about peace. And so we have to remember, Scripture is the same way. It's not just the end of the conflict. The Korean War ended, but that doesn't mean that North and South Korea are good buddies now and that they get along well. And so in Scripture, when it talks about peace, it's not just talking about the end of the conflict. It's talking about also the coming of reconciliation and wholeness and friendship and love and fellowship. It is making what is broken whole. And so that's what it means when it talks about peace within Scripture. Theologian and philosopher Cornelius Plattinga writes this, the webbing, together, the webbing together of God, humans, and all creation in justice, fulfillment, and delight is what the Hebrew prophets called shalom. We call it peace, but it means far more than the mere peace of mind or ceasefire between enemies. In the Bible, shalom means universal flourishing, wholeness and delight, a rich state of affairs in which natural needs are satisfied and natural gifts fruitfully employed, a state of affairs that inspires joyful wonder as its creator and savior opens doors and welcomes the creatures in whom he delights. Shalom, in other words, is the way things ought to be. And do you ever have that sense that this world isn't the way it ought to be? That God had created it for so much more. Like when he looked at creation in Genesis chapter 1 and he said it was very good. And we look around the world and we get the sense this isn't the way 
Everything is meant to be. Well, there's hints of it. We see hints of love and compassion and kindness, but we also realize that there's sin and brokenness and pain. I was just listening this week to a one-year anniversaries of school shootings taking place. In Texas, listening to survivor accounts of what happened on that day a year ago this past week, and just reminded that the world isn't the way it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be a place of shalom, but it's not. And so, as we trace the theme through Scripture, and, and this was inspired somewhat by an article by uh, uh, Tim Keller on shalom, we can understand two things from God about shalom. The first is this, God knows that we need shalom in this world. And let's break that down into specific areas that we see in Scripture. So God knows that we need shalom. The first area where we need shalom is we need shalom with God. We need peace with God. And that goes all the way back to Adam and Eve. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, it says, after Adam and Eve had eaten of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it says, the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And all of a sudden, because of sin, because they disobey God, you see them hiding from God. And all of a sudden, you discover that within this relationship between man and God, sin has broken it, and there's no longer shalom or peace. The peace has been fractured. In fact, to start making it whole, the first thing what God does is he makes them a covering of animal skin. In chapter 3, verse 21, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And we see the first hint that the only way to arrive at peace once again will take a sacrifice. And animals gave up their life to clothe Adam and Eve. One day the Son of God would give up his life to bring peace with God. In the New Testament, you can trace this theme. And that's what you do when you study a theme in Scripture looking at peace. You can see that the need is still there in the New Testament. In Romans chapter 3, verses 10 and 11, it says, As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. And as a result of that, in chapter 5, verse 10, it says, For if when we were God's enemies, we're not described as those who live at peace with God. Those outside of Christ are described as those who are God's enemies. James 4.4 4 says this, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred towards God? And one of the challenges we have in life is that we must come to grips with the reality that our relationship with God from the moment of conception is broken by sin. We are not at peace with him. We don't have the fellowship that we need. And God knows we need shalom with him. He also knows that we need shalom with others. You can go all the way back to, again to the book of Genesis and you look at Adam and Eve's kids, Cain and Abel. And by chapter 4 of the book of Genesis, verse 8, we hear Cain, who's just killed his brother Abel. And God says, where is Abel? And Cain says, am I my brother's keeper? Am I my brother's keeper? And we discover that within relationships, the shalom has now been broken. What God had created in the Garden of Eden as perfect and good in every relationship between Adam and Eve and himself, and now between Adam and Eve and their children and their descendants from them, we discover the shalom is broken with God, but the shalom is broken between one another. 
and we need peace. In fact, it's interesting in Genesis, this story goes on to show just how bad the brokenness has grown. By the end of chapter 4, verse 23 and 24, there's a descendant of Cain. His name is Lamech. And he says to his two wives, Ada and Zillah, listen to me. Wives of Lamech, hear my words. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech 77 times. And we see in that little story of Cain's descendants that the brokenness of sin is ripping its way down through the generations. And relationships need peace. This is a story I've told, uh, it was written by Ernest Hemingway. A story told years ago about a man in Madrid, Spain, who he and his son got into a fight, and the fight escalated, and they exchanged words, maybe exchanged a few shoves here and there, and finally, the father said, I never want to talk to you again. And the son said, well, that's good because I'm never going to talk to you again. And the son stormed out of the house and they both kept their word. They dug in their heels and they never talked to each other. And the days went by and there was no communication. The weeks went by and there was no communication. Eventually, months and months turned into years. The father began to miss his son and to grieve what had happened between the two of them. And so... He finally decided to reach out to his son, but time had passed so long and he hadn't heard any news one way or another about his son. He didn't know what to do or how to contact him. And this was in the days before Facebook when you can friend somebody and type in their name and hopefully track them down. And so he decided that he would take an ad out in the newspaper and pay for an ad that said, he didn't want to embarrass his son, so it just said this, Dear Paco, I love you. All is forgiven. Meet me at 12 noon in front of the newspaper in Madrid on Saturday. The ad went in the newspaper. The father was nervous about what would happen, whether his son would show up or not. The time came for him to go to meet his son in front of the newspaper, and he prayed that his son might be willing to come. As he walked up to the office of the newspaper business, he noticed a crowd had gathered there. And that day there were 800 Pacos who showed up hoping it was their dad who said, all is forgiven. Let's make things right. Because the truth is, most of us, I, it wouldn't surprise me if every person in this room could point to a broken relationship in their life where the shalom has been cracked and broken. Some of you, if I gave you 10 seconds, you could think of a person that if you were to go to Meijer right now or to Walmart and you're walking down an aisle, you could think of a person right now that if you were to see them turn the corner at the other end of the aisle, you'd think, I'm just going to turn the corner and head to the next aisle so that I don't have to engage with that person. And a lot of times what we say is this, well, I have shalom, the fight has ended, we, don't, we just avoid each other. And the point of Scripture is this, shalom is broken until all of a sudden fellowship and love and wholeness is restored. It's not just the end of a fight, it's not just keeping your distance and avoiding each other at stores or restaurants and places you go. It is the bringing of reconciliation to a relationship. God knows we need shalom with him. He knows we need shalom with others. He knows that we even need shalom with creation. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 17, after Adam and Eve sinned, it says, 
God says to Adam, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. And we find that creation is cursed because of our sin and the shalom is gone. That's why Paul in the book of Romans chapter 8 verse 19 says this, creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, and hope that creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We even have a broken relationship with the world God has created. I remember years ago when we lived in Ohio, uh, we were out in the countryside, and so on the backside of our house was a farm field. It was either corn or his beans. They alternated every year, and across the street was corn or beans, and they alternated every year. And there's something that happens in the fall when they start harvesting the crops. Uh, it stirs up a little tiny rodent that go running looking for cover called mice. And in the fall, invariably, we could get a mouse would find its way into our house. And I remember one time, we're in the kitchen, and all of a sudden, I see something go running across the floor. And I'm like, oh my goodness. And it went behind the hutch. And I'm like, guys, I think I just saw a mouse. Well, that, that lit it off. All of a sudden, you, it doesn't take long. You put a mouse in a room, and you discover the fracture between God's good creation and the rest of us. Because we have yet for God to heal whatever he did to mice. Uh, because I don't like mice that much, but... Um, uh, excitement ensued at that point. I think my wife was still in her room. The kids were sitting there eating breakfast. And the next thing I knew, I said, well, somebody go get a box or something, put it on the other end of the hutch so it cannot run down the hallway to the bedrooms because that's the last thing we want is the mouse down there. And I said, that way it'll hopefully turn around and want to come back out this other end. And so sure enough, we put something in there, we blocked it. The mouse comes running out from the backside of the hutch. And as he comes running out, the next thing I know, Anna is standing on the table and she's screaming, Daddy, 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 there's a mouse. And the, I don't remember if it was Noah or Micah, but one of them is standing there on the chair as it's going around. And I'm trying to figure out what to do. I'm like, I think I'm going to open the patio door and let it try to get it to run outside. And as it's running across the floor, there's, there's Micah going, Daddy, kill it, Daddy, kill it. Get a knife and stab it, Daddy. Just stab it dead. And man, what excitement. Sure enough, it actually ran up the patio screen, went out there, we closed the door. And then my wife walks out and she's like, is that a mouse on the screen door sitting there? And I said, yeah. She said, I cannot stand in this dining room seeing a mouse on the outside of the patio door just sitting there. And so I had to go outside then, take the screen door off, go into the backyard and shake it till the, till the mouse came off of it. But you, you discover really quickly that we don't necessarily live at peace with all of creation. I don't like snakes. I have no use for snakes. Only good snake's a dead snake in my book. And so I, I, I don't live at peace with all of creation. And maybe that's because of the curse that God has put on the earth. And those are funny stories, but we know that they're serious stories as well. You turn on the news and you hear about mudslides that bury hundreds if not thousands of people. You turn on the news and you hear about the flooding of the Mississippi River and you see all the homes and the farm fields destroyed. You turn on the news and you hear about a hurricane and you realize the damage that it's left or a tornado that goes through 
Not only does it rip up homes, take down trees, but sometimes takes lives. Earthquakes that leave hundreds and rubbles. And all of a sudden you get a sense that, you know what, there is something wrong, not just with people and God, not just with people and people, there's even something wrong with creation. The shalom has been broken. And if that isn't bad enough, we discover, and God knows, we need shalom within ourselves. In fact, God promises this. Isaiah 26.3 says, You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. What we read earlier in the service from the book of Philippians says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving. Present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And the truth is this. It's not just the shalom with God and the shalom with people and the shalom with the world. A lot of us just struggle internally with our own personal shalom. Because we're broken even on the inside. Sin's effects have come there. And so we see the five most common mental disorders being depression, anxiety, eating disorders, substance abuse, and attention deficit disorder. And we discover that we need shalom even in our own psyche. I remember reading once, I think it was a Far Side comic. Any of you ever see Far Side comics? A couple of you. So anyway, they're just funny pictures, see the world from a different way. And there's this poor guy, he's standing there about to walk into, open a door up and there's a sign on it. And there on the side of the door, it says this. It says, the gathering for those with low self-esteem. And then it has a note at the bottom, please use back door. (laughs) Yeah, we're broken even on the inside, not just on the outside. God knows that we need shalom. The good news is this. The second thing we see in Scripture is that God has provided for our shalom. We discover that shalom is prophesied in the Old Testament. Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7 says this. We often read it at Christmas. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Shalom. Jesus is prophesied to be the prince of peace, of shalom. Zechariah, that we read earlier in chapter 9, verses 9 and 10, says, Rejoice, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, on the foal of the donkey. When do we read that passage typically? Do you know what Sunday that passage will typically be read? Palm Sunday, when Jesus comes riding on the donkey, into Jerusalem. And it says right after that, he will proclaim peace, shalom to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea, from the river to the ends of the earth. Shalom is prophesied in the Old Testament. The Old Testament looks forward to the restoration of shalom that was broken all the way back in the Garden of Eden. Shalom is then accomplished in the person of Jesus Christ. Isn't it interesting that when Jesus is born in Bethlehem and the shepherds are out in the fields nearby keeping watch over their sheep and an angel appears to them. In verse 14 of Luke chapter 2, the angels sing this, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace. 
the men on whom his favor rests. The angels say when the baby Jesus is born, peace, God's peace. Jesus, at the end of his ministry in the upper room before he's arrested and crucified, says to his disciples in John 14, 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. And Paul in his theology in Romans chapter 5, verse 1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. God knows that we need shalom. God has provided for our shalom. Shalom is prophesied in the Old Testament. Shalom is accomplished in Christ. We see that shalom is experienced through faith because we have been justified through faith, Romans 5.1 said. Or Galatians says it is by grace you have been saved through faith. People often wonder what, how does faith work? And just a simple illustration, if you have a, a light fixture, you understand that the power to run the light, if it's a lamp and you turn a lamp on, the power comes from the electricity. But how does the electricity get from the outlet to the light bulb? It goes through the, the power cord. And that's a lot how faith is. By itself, a power cord does nothing. If it's not plugged in, it does absolutely nothing. And if you don't plug it into a, if you just put it into a bucket of water, you're not going to get the light to turn on. Say, so, but faith is like a power cord in which the salvation and grace of God flows through faith to bring about the shalom of God in our lives. It is through faith. Shalom's experience through faith, ultimately shalom will be realized in the future. I'll tell you a story about a mouse, but it's interesting what Isaiah says in chapter 11, verses 6 through 9. He says, the wolf will live with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear, the young will lie down together, the lion will eat straw like the ox, the infant will play near the hole of the cobra, and the young child put his hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the seas. The word shalom does not appear in that passage, but the concept does. It is the peace, the shalom of God that Isaiah prophesies about. It's what Revelation ends with. When John says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them. Notice the shalom between God and men is restored. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Shalom. God has provided for our shalom. And so what you see in Scripture is this theme developed that what broke in Genesis, the shalom that is broken in Genesis, ultimately being restored between God and man, between one another, and internally within ourselves and with all of creation, the shalom of God being restored. And what you discover then about this little word shalom is that it can be a simple little word that just means hi. How you doing? Hello, good morning, 
Or sometimes within Scripture, it's this grand, amazing word talking about God's complete salvation and the wholeness He wants to bring to our world. The amazing thing is this, and it's the simple point to hold on to today. God wants your shalom. God wants your peace, and for there to be peace in your life. A well-known passage often used at the end of a service that talks about the peace of God. In fact, the word shalom is the grand climax of the passage. is in number 6, where in verse 22 and following, the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron and his sons, this is how you are to bless the Israelites, to bless all of them. Say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Shalom. Isn't that amazing? It says, the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron and his sons, this is how you are to bless the Israelites. In other words, Aaron doesn't stand up in front of the Israelites and say, he doesn't stand up and say, okay, dear God, I just pray, I'm asking you, I'm begging you. I know this group that stands before you today, they complained all the way through the wilderness. I know they struggled to trust you. I know that you can get frustrated with them, but I just pray, would you bless them and let them have your shalom? It doesn't say that. It doesn't say that Moses told Aaron, you know what, Aaron? You might get frustrated as the priest over these people. He said, but when you stand up in front of them, you are to announce God's shalom to them. I think that would be a thing that they would appreciate. No, it, notice this. It's God's idea. He said, the Lord said to Moses. Moses doesn't ask for it. Aaron doesn't ask for it. The Israelites don't ask for it. The person most concerned about the peace of God in your heart isn't even you. It is God himself. He's the one who wants you to have his peace. And so he commands Moses, Moses, you tell Aaron that when they get up in front of the people, the one thing they got to do is let them know, I want them to have my shalom, my peace in their life and in their heart. God cares about his peace being in your life. And we won't know complete peace in this world until Jesus returns, but we can know the peace of God in our mind and heart starting today. You can have the peace of God. I remember a gentleman, we were visiting a church, my wife and I, um, several years ago when we lived in Mississippi, and uh, we took a weekend away and drove over to Birmingham, Alabama to see what was in Birmingham, Alabama. And so... We were there over the weekend, so Sunday morning, so when we're traveling, we try to attend church somewhere, so we went to Covenant Presbyterian Church, I think was the right church, and uh, I usually go to a large church, because I have to confess, I'm just like everybody else, I want to kind of be able to slip in and slip out and not be noticed, and so uh, this was a large church, we pulled up the directions, uh, this was in the days before he had a smartphone, so he couldn't use that to get there, and I, I had the print directions off the night before, found out what time the service was. And we went to the service, and this was a big church. I want to say at that time, probably about 3,000 people attended there. They had multiple services. They had a full orchestra across the front for the music. And, and the Presbyterians and some of their churches tend to be more formal, and this was no exception. It was a more formal church, and so everybody's, you know, I mean, the lady, it's in the South, too, so people dress up in the South a little more than in, in the Midwest. And so the ladies are all in dresses, and they have their Southern hats on. A lot of guys were in suits and dressed up. And we just slid in the back, and we sat there, and we were watching things. And, 
And it, a, a, a typical service, pretty formal, you know, no shows of emotion. That, that doesn't go in the Presbyterian circle, at least not in that circle. And uh, you just stand there and, and, and you quietly participate and observe as the service goes. And so that's what we did. We sat there and we got to the end and the pastor stood up. And he came to the part to announce the, what's called the benediction, the blessing at the end of the service. And the guy seated down the row from us had uh, two girls uh, with him. He's standing there, and everybody stood up for the benediction, and, and, and we stand there, and then he did something that was out of the ordinary, because this wasn't a church where they raised hands during singing or anything like that, but when the benediction came, he put his hands up like this. I'm like, I wonder what he's doing. I mean, here's a guy, he's dressed in, in a full suit, sitting there with his two daughters who are all dressed up like it was Easter Sunday anywhere else, and uh, he's standing there with his hands like this. And I had to think about that for a while, and I said, oh, I get it. I said he's put, up, put his hands up as a demonstration that he wants to receive the blessing from God. He wants to receive God's shalom. And if you took it out of religious terms, man, I, I played basketball. I know what it meant. I, we would, they would teach us that when we were playing basketball and we came around a screen, if a guy set a pick and we came around a screen, we were to rub shoulder to shoulder with the guy who set the pick. And as we came around, the goal was to get the ball. And so some of us, we'd just come running around and the coach would stop us and they saying, John, no. He said, when you come off a screen, you come off, your hands are up because you're ready to catch the ball because the point guard is ready to pass the ball. Said, that's why your hands are up. You're ready to catch it. You're ready to get it. And what I discovered is it's not just neat that this guy had this idea, wow, I'm going to catch God's blessing. But the amazing thing is this God is throwing the pass. God is the one who wants to give you his blessing. He wants to pour his shalom into your life. And so he commanded, he commanded. Moses to tell Aaron, when, when the priests stand up in front of my people, they will tell them my blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace. It's not Moses' idea. It's not Aaron's idea. It's not the people's idea. It is the desire of God to bring his peace into your life. As I wrap up, maybe today you're sitting there and you're thinking, I'm struggling to have God's peace in my life. And I just want to pray for you. Because God wants to give us his peace. If we will walk in his ways and live by faith in him, he wants us and won't be trouble-free but it should be anxiety-free. And we can live in his peace. So would you bow your heads with me? And maybe today you'd just say, you know what, Pastor? I need God to throw some of his shalom into my heart and into my mind. And if that's you today, would you just raise your hand? That's all I'm gonna ask you to do. You can keep your head bowed, your eyes closed, and you just say, I need the peace of God in my life. And let me just pray for you. Father, God Almighty, and Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, and Holy Spirit, the Counselor, the Comforter, who brings the peace of God into our lives. I pray, Lord, that you would see these hands raised today. 
And Lord, I pray that you would take the truth of your word, that you care about their peace, and that you would implant that into their minds, that they would know that the anxieties and the fears and the concerns that they're struggling with, dear Lord, that those are because of the brokenness of sin in our world. They can come as lies from the evil one, but you are the God of shalom, of peace. And I pray, dear God, that you would give them the peace of Jesus Christ. May he be their peace this day. And so, Lord, pour out your shalom into their lives. And thank you that you care more about our own peace than even we understand. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Will you stand as we sing our closing song?